The phone lines are open. You've got questions. We've got answers. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. One of my favorite days of the week. Yeah, I've been doing live daily radio, either one or two hours a day for 11 straight years now. So we started in June 11 years ago. I started in March 11 years ago, but that was one day a week. And then quickly we were asked to go to five days a week and then two hours a day from one hour a day. And anyway, my joy, my tremendous joy, but Fridays are especially fun because Phone lines are just open for anything in the world you want to ask about, any question under the sun. And as always, I invite my critics, those who differ with me, to call and tell me why. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. Oh, I was ready to go to one line and uh, answer a question there, but it's just being posted for me. So let me respond to something. I, I was emailed this question by a friend uh yesterday day before uh he's wondering how to lead a prayer group with others if you're only used to praying privately well one thing would be to to go to prayer meetings with others and to see how they're led because there are a thousand different ways to lead a prayer meeting and there are a thousand different formats I mean, more than a thousand is endless number uh, what are you used to what are people what are different ones used to so i would first go to different prayer meetings and see what you relate to well, what works well, etc. And then the goal is when you do pray together with people, and again, just on the, on the simplest, most basic level, when you do pray together with people, that you want to just give some guidelines, all right, here's what we're praying for, or here's some key needs, and then you might say, right, I'll just open in prayer, and then as you feel led and prompted, just pray about these particular issues, then we'll move on to other things, and things like that. Often you want to intersperse worship. Sometimes you have a time of worship first to prepare hearts, to turn them upward to the Lord. It may be a matter of let's just read scripture to encourage our, our hearts with, with the promises of God and that he's a prayer answering God and then go to pray. But it's really good to be in other prayer meetings and see how different leaders lead different prayer meetings or worship teams or, or pastors, or etc. Get used to that see what you feel most uh, at home with, and then lead people accordingly. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's start with Aaron in Oregon. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. Happy Friday. Thank you, sir. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, go ahead. Perfect. Hey, Dr. Brown, I had a question for you because I have uh, my, my brother-in-law. He's, he's been bringing up Daniel 725. Bible verse um, in chapter 7 of Daniel, verse 25, talks about how this, this leader is going to come and try and change uh, the times and the law. Mm-hmm. And, my, and my brother, who's a very zealous man, very godly man, um, he is kind of leaning towards thinking that that means he's going to try and take away the feast, the biblical feast, and the law of Moses, and so that's leading him down a thought 
fact of that we have to keep the law of Moses and observe the biblical feast the way the Israelites would have, or in a New Testament context, but still in a more literal way than a lot of people would. would yeah, the, the problem the is, the problem is those are never laid on Gentile believers. The problem is the Seventh-day Sabbath is never commanded anywhere in the New Testament for Gentile believers. The problem is that the feasts as a whole are never commanded for Gentile believers. And that Paul explicitly in Colossians 2 warns Gentile believers about coming under pressure. Don't let anyone put you under pressure in regard to Sabbath or new moon or festival, because those things are shadows of the reality. The reality is found in the Messiah. So whatever Daniel 7.25 is referring to, some refer it primarily to past events with, with Antiochus Epiphanes, some refer it primarily to end-of-the-age events with an Antichrist, etc. But it, and it could just be with reference to the Jewish people and an Antichrist trying to change laws and customs for the Jewish people. But the issue is that nowhere in the New Testament are the Feasts of Israel or the Seventh-day Sabbath commanded for the church as a whole. And if you're going to say, well, we should do them because God gave them to Israel, then you should do everything else. And if you recognize that we have a different priesthood through the Messiah, and if you recognize that we don't do blood sacrifices anymore through the Messiah, then we have to say, okay, what else has been changed? Doesn't Hebrews 7 say that there's been a change in the law because the priesthood is not the Aaronic priesthood, but the Melchizedek priesthood? So whatever Daniel 7.25 means and that's disputed by different interpreters. It absolutely is not a warning telling the church that you must keep the biblical feast and the seventh-day Sabbath, otherwise you're in sin or something like that. If God writes it on someone's heart and they joyfully feel called to do that, wonderful, and participate uh, with congregations that do that as unto the Lord with Jesus being central. But to do it out of a sense of bondage or command is to fall into error and generally leads away from intimacy with God, rather not towards it. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Brown. You are very, very welcome. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to Matthew. In, whoops, I hit, that was me. That was on me. I've never done that. I, I hit the wrong button. There we go. Probably cut someone else that was calling in. All right, Matthew in New York. Whereabouts in New York, sir? Uh, I'm in the city, in Manhattan. All right, great, great. What's on your mind? Hey, so um, I don't know if you've had a chance, if you've uh, seen the video of the, the street preacher in Toronto, uh, Pastor David Lim from Christ yes, Forgiveness sir. Ministries. Yes, sir. Yeah, so, you know, he was he's actually my pastor. Um, and, uh, you know, I just uh, wanted to see if you've actually seen the video. And my primary question, you know, we, we under, under Christ Forgiveness, like, we're always referred to you. We always, you know, try to make sure our, our theology is you know, sort of fact-checked and stuff and always checking your videos. We appreciate everything that you do. But we were, we were wondering if, um, if perhaps you could make some time to interview him or get some publicity, because he's a really good spokesperson for Christianity. Unlike uh, a lot yes, of sir. Preachers that are y- yes, there. Matthew, thank you. First, let me alert our listeners and viewers to, to what you're talking about, and then, uh, then I'll respond to your question. So Pastor David Lynn in Canada was arrested for hate speech. And I'm planning to write an article on it. Basically, he preaches God is love and gets arrested for hate speech. Uh, I didn't watch all the video. I watched excerpts. But there he is. He's not mean-spirited, yelling, screaming. 
He's talking about the love of God and forgiveness through the gospel. And then when people want him out of there because he's a Christian, his response is, well, that's being hateful or bigoted. In other words, he's just turning around and LGBT activists and others, the language they use, because the moment you differ with LGBT activism, you're a hater, you're a bigot. So that's all he's doing. Well, he, he ends up out, outrageously arrested for, for hate speech in Canada. So I plan to write on it. And yes, I, I would love to have him on the air to talk. So the best thing is, Matthew, I'm going to put you on hold when we're done talking and we'll give you a, an address to write to so that you can be in contact with my assistant or you'll just leave us your email address. And, and either way, we'll, we'll give instructions for that. I'd love to have him on the air to talk about it. But Canada has been going in the wrong direction for many years. Back when James Dobson led Focus on the Family, I was told that there were shows that he would do talking about homosexual issues that would not air in Canada. They, their show aired in Canada, but they couldn't air it in Canada because of the controversial material. So this is going back probably 20 years back. I, I was aware of this. There have been Catholic priests who have been told you cannot comment about homosexuality ever uh, for, for the rest of your, your life and ministry because of various stances. And there have been recent outrages in Canada. The, the father of a 14-year-old girl who is not allowed to refer to her as she or by her name, I think Noreen. Uh, she's on hormone treatments. She wants to become a, a male. And if he even in private refers to her as his daughter or she or uses her name, that he could be arrested for it. And on and on and on it goes. Uh, thankfully, there is a, a growing coalition of pastors. We're in touch with one who regularly updates us who were standing up and pushing back against ungodly curriculum in the schools and things like this. But I think this case, Matthew, the whole thing is on video. The whole message is there is so egregious that yes, we, we need to shout it out for the world to see anything that, that I didn't say accurately about what happened that you want to fill in. No, uh, we appreciate that. I mean, you know, I'm one of pastor David's like sort of assistants, one of his tech guys, and I'm, I'm a former homosexual, you know? Really? And, uh, yeah, and it's like, so Pastor David, he's just, he's the, he's the last person in the world that would act hatefully, you know? Like, yeah. I, I was literally led to Pastor David, you know? And I, I, we've got, like, six or seven other people in our ministry that are former homosexuals as well. So we've got mm. a lot of um, patience and understanding and empathy and all that type of stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I would, I, I've just been going around doing the circus trying to make sure everybody's aware of it because... People are afraid of the uh, YouTube mafia coming after people and shutting them down. And we really yeah, do have to put the word it, out. So I just appreciate it, it, it. It's it's quite extraordinary. All right, so listen, stay there, Matthew. All right, and as soon as our call screener gets a moment, he will get your email address. So just give me your email address, and our call screener will send it to us, and then we'll put you in touch with Dylan, my assistant, and get David Lynn. On the air. So stay there. It'll be a moment before he's free to do that. All right. Let's see. Um, Michael in Louisiana, welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Michael. Are you there? Well, maybe not. There's a question that I see posted Can a Christian lose their salvation for entertainment choices? Let's not think of our salvation as something that you can lose just like 
Oh, I lost. Where's where are my keys? I lost my keys. I lost where my glasses. I lost my glasses. No, no. Salvation is not something like that. You don't just lose it. Can I forfeit my salvation by willfully walking away from Jesus, willfully denying Jesus, willfully refusing Jesus as Lord, willfully walking in sin and refusing to repent? Yes, I can. Now, someone would say, well, then that person was never really saved. Either way, we agree that a true believer will not live in persistent, unrepentant sin and refuse the Lordship of Jesus. We may struggle, have ups and downs, make wrong decisions, make wrong choices, but by God's grace, we turn back and repent. All right, back with your calls. Stay right there. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey friends, for every one of you who appreciate these broadcasts and appreciate what our ministry team is able to do on a daily, weekly basis, would you stand with us? Here's something that most everybody can do. Put aside a, a few cents a day, 30-something cents a day, so $10 a month, that's it. Become a Patreon partner. We've been stuck at 94 Patreon partners for a while. We really need about 1,000 to do everything that we're deciding to do for you, to help you. We're a nonprofit, so that means everything that comes in goes back out to be a blessing to you, serve you, help you, bring on more people to help serve you, minister to you, get cutting-edge material out to you, our, our videos, our, our YouTube work, our radio show. So patreon.com forward slash Dr. Brown. Would you join with us today? Can we get a bunch more Patreon partners to help move forward this work? Patreon.com forward slash Dr. Brown, A-S-K-D-R Brown. You've got questions. We've got answers. Let us go over to Zach in New York. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello, hey, Zach. Hello. Yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to first of all say thank you for your ministry. It's been a big help. Um, so I grew up as a lukewarm Catholic, and in January I moved to a Protestant church and I was saved. Um, so me trying to find what I truly believe in, uh, I keep coming across Catholics saying that they were the first church and they have the original teachings and doctrines. So I guess my first uh, question would be, is that accurate? And then second of all, do you believe that the first Catholic Church teaches the same doctrines that are taught in the uh, current Roman Catholic Church? Yeah, so, so first thing, the word Catholic just means universal. So when you read documents from the early church talking about Catholic, that just means universal, just means all believers. Okay, so let me answer your questions. One the Catholic Church as we know it today, is that the original church? No, no, certainly not. Of course not. Obviously not. There are many, many things taught in the Catholic Church that are not taught in Scripture. Many things held to by Catholics today that are found nowhere in Scripture. There even a hint of them in Scripture. Rather, Catholics would say, well, we have developed these in our tradition, and the traditions are inspired, etc. It's similar to Rabbinic Judaism. Rabbinic Judaism is not the religion of the Old Testament. It's the Old Testament in the light of a massive amount of 
Jewish tradition. So the same way Roman Catholicism is the Bible plus a mass of ongoing Catholic tradition. With all respect to my Roman Catholic friends, some of whom I know are genuine believers in Jesus, the Roman Catholic Church claims to be the original church. The Orthodox, Greek and Russian Orthodox Church claims to be the original church. Messianic Jews say, no, no, we're the original ones. We're following in the footsteps of, of the first apostles, all of whom were Jews. Protestant evangelicals say, well, actually, you know, we're the ones just following the plain text of Scripture, and that's what we have. So everyone has a certain claim to being the original and the true. But for me, it's really simple. What do we all agree on? The Bible. So stay with that. Stay with that, Zach. If you see something that's in the Bible that's clear and emphatic that your church is not teaching, but the Catholic Church is teaching, well, then that would get your attention. Conversely, if you see things that the Catholic Church is teaching that are not taught in the Bible, then that should get your attention. Stay with Scripture. You say, yeah, yeah, but Paul mentions tradition. The only tradition that's binding is that which ends up being written in Scripture. There are plenty of traditions that were practiced by different groups at different times, but that which is binding is that which is written. God has given us his word. Major on that and walk in relationship with God, develop a personal, a personal relationship with God. Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. I don't need a priest to be a mediator. All of us are called to be priests to God. All of us are called to be saints to God. So again, I have Roman Catholic friends who are believers who know the Lord, but we agree on Scripture, and that's where your focus needs to be. All right? Pretty simple. Just remember, we all agree on that. Everyone claims to be the original church, but we all agree on Scripture. So stay with what's written. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Don in Apex, North Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. Thank you. Hi, Dr. Brown. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you. Good. This is my question. During the millennial reign, when Jesus Christ comes back to live and reign on the earth for a thousand years, and us as his saints, when we come back with him, what are we going to be doing? It never really talks about it, because life's going to be going on, marriage and everything. Where are we going to be living? Because we've already went through that. Is he Mm going to supply a place for us? Because I've never seen that in the Bible, Dr. Brown. Right. So the fact that it's not explicitly there means we have to tread cautiously. Agree? In other words, I get my information the same place you get it, the Word of God. And obviously there are verses we miss, or there are verses we forget, or there are verses we don't understand. But if we've been through it over and over and over, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of information then we have to recognize, okay, God didn't give us all the details. Certainly, on some level, at least some of us will be ruling and reigning with Jesus. In other words, at least some of us will be involved in working with Jesus during the millennial kingdom to rule over cities okay. and peoples and things like that. But if you do the math, there, there, there could be more of us, ultimately, believers through the centuries than people on the earth, at least for a period of time. So I don't know that all of us will be ruling and reigning. Does that mean that the rest of us will still be in heaven with the Father? Could be. Could be. But I, I just don't know that Scripture tells us. I know we'll be with the Lord forever. Does that mean with the Lord Jesus forever? In which case, then we'll just be here worshiping Him and adoring Him. And 
maybe engaged in other things, maybe teaching the nations and helping instruct and give what we have and share and grow. But honestly, we don't know. We know that there'll be no temptation of sin for us. We know that we'll be glorified. We know that we'll never die right. or suffer. Those things we know. Beyond that, don't know. If, if, if it's in the Bible, okay, well, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. All right. Well, then I'm doing all right. Thank you so much, Doctor. You're, you're very, you're, you're absolutely right, sir. All right, eight six six three four truth. We go to Tim in Florida. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Doctor Brown. Um, I just had a quick question about uh, Luke four eighteen, where Jesus is going into the synagogue to read the Isaiah scroll. Yeah, and it, it, there's an extra line in there. Uh, it says, and recovering of sight to the blind, which when I go back to Isaiah 61.1, that line isn't in there. Mm-hmm. Is, is that a manuscript error? Is that um, a bad translation? What's going on there? No, there, there's no translation issue for sure. In other words, it's, it's not that there's a question or uh, an error in translation. That's, that's definitely not the issue. Uh, if, if, you, if you go to Isaiah 58, uh, that that seems to be uh, where some of the the language is is taken from. There there are a few related passages, Isaiah forty two, Isaiah forty nine talk about prisoners coming from captivity. Isaiah fifty eight brings in some of the language of, about about ministering to the poor and the hurting. And the the best the best viewpoint, uh, Tim, is that Jesus, as he's quoting from this to people knowledgeable of the text. Uh, that he brings in some of the other verses from Isaiah that relate to the same theme. It's not that there was a different manuscript. There's, there's no evidence anywhere that there was a different Isaiah manuscript. In fact, we have full Isaiah manuscripts from the Dead Sea Scrolls. So it's not that there was a different text there. It's not that he, that Luke is, is primarily bringing in the Septuagint and, and, and taking the Hebrew words and turning them into Greek. It seems rather that Jesus, as he was reading this, was also now bringing in other verses that were related from Isaiah. And if, if you look in, in um, let, let's just see if I can find this here. Okay, let's see. I'll, um, I'll go to the NET, okay, the New English Translation, which has a, a, abundant notes, okay? And then I'll go over to uh, Luke, the fourth chapter, and because most of the time, if you, if you have a, a footnote in your Bible, it will give you this information. And let's see, Luke 418 notes in the NET. Oh, come on. Where is this here? Anyway. Ah, okay. It's coming up with the wrong translation. Anyway, what you'll normally find, right, is I'm looking through here. Okay. So there is a debate about the Greek manuscripts. The majority of manuscripts, especially the letter Byzantines, include the phrase to heal the brokenhearted at this point. The phrase is lacking in several other weighty manuscripts. So the question is, where is it coming from? Uh, and, and then it's obviously some other quote from Isaiah that's added in. So the only manuscript debate is, is not about what said in Isaiah 61, but is there an additional phrase added in the Greek in Luke 4? If that original phrase goes back to Jesus... Jesus is borrowing it elsewhere from Isaiah and weaving in. It wouldn't have been the norm. In other words, you normally just read what's there, but because you could also read and interpret and read and preach, and the Targums, the Aramaic translations and paraphrases were, were rich 
with interpretation and additional commentary, that could be what's happening here. Jesus is getting up, reading from the scroll from Isaiah 61, but also weaving in with it some other passages from Isaiah to say, hey, this is the time of redemption. This is the time that the prophet spoke of, and now it's being fulfilled in your ears. Best way to understand it. It's possible. It wasn't there in the original Greek. It was added in, but more likely it was there and that Jesus took a phrase from elsewhere in Isaiah and mingled it together. Hey, thank you for the call. We got a break, got a run. Phone lines are open, 866-34-TRUTH. Number to call. We'll get to as many calls as we can on the other side of the break. Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, friends, to the line of fire, and thanks so much to our new Patreon partners who have joined with us in recent minutes to become part of our Patreon support team. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention moments ago, you get two bonus videos every week. Yeah, just pennies a day, 30-something cents a day, $10 or more per month. You become a Patreon partner. Not only do you have the joy of partnering with us and producing new cutting-edge media material, not only do you have the joy of, of getting the reward, sharing in the reward for all the testimonies that come our way, the lives that are changed, but you also get blessed with two bonus videos, a YouTube chat that we do every week, and then a bonus video on a key teaching subject, maybe about 25 minutes, where I dig into something. So go to patreon.com forward slash Ask Dr. Brown, ASK Dear Brown. All right, you've got questions, we've got answers, 866-34-TRUTH. Just want to add this to a call we got moments ago about the quotation from Isaiah 61 and Luke 4. If you look, for example, at the ESV notes, it says that included there is text from Isaiah 42.7, and Isaiah 58, 6, I referenced those chapters earlier. In, in other words, the Greek text as we have it is including other verses so that Jesus, as he was speaking, was adding in verses they would have been familiar with and that would have further gotten their attention about, whoa, what is he claiming? What is he saying? Because those verses are all in key context there in Isaiah. 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go to Joshua in Dallas. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Uh, how are you doing today? Doing very well, thank you. Uh, well, first I want to say thank you for your ministry. Uh, you're doing a lot of good work. Um, uh, you're very welcome. Like to, uh, yes, the uh, first thing I'd like to ask is uh, I've been looking at uh, books that were uh, that give uh, some more background to the Jewishness of Jesus. Um, mm -hmm. Some of them that I found uh, included uh, books that were written by Jews that don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, one of them is uh, Amy Jill Levine uh, with The Misunderstood Jew or the Jewish Annotated New Testament, but there's mm -hmm. also the... Um, the Jewish Study Bible, which was published by uh, 
Oxford University Press, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark uh, Zettler, or yeah, Brettler, yeah. actually. Mark Brettler is the author of... Yeah, just one of the yeah, 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 one of the editors, right. Right. Uh, do you recommend uh, such works, or uh, because they're not uh, trying to tear down faith necessarily, but they are presenting um, Jewish background, or at least how Jews have interpreted... Right. Uh, so, so the Jewish study Bible is Old Testament. Okay. Jewish yeah. study Bible is not New Testament. So for what it is, it's excellent. That. Right, right. It's, it's excellent for what it is. In other words, it's top Jewish scholarship giving interpretation. And it's not, it's not heavily traditionally Jewish. In other words, it's, oh. it's more a modern Jewish perspective. So there's some critical scholarship with it as well. You, you will you will not just find the traditional interpretation with it, but mm-hmm. yeah that if if you want to know say the state of the Bible in Jewish studies today outside of ultra traditional settings yeah that would be the one Bible I would get for Old Testament to get the Amy mm-hmm. Levine edited volume on New Testament annotated New Testament uh, yeah it, it's unique in that Jewish scholars did it. And their goal was not to tear down. So that makes it of historic importance. Now, to be honest, as someone who's looked at this for many years, greatly appreciating the scholarship of Amy Jill Levine and others involved with it, I felt there were a number of things they missed that many Messianic Jewish scholars have pointed out. So, for example, if you get the Jewish New Testament commentary of David Stern, a Messianic Jewish scholar, you'll get a lot of perspectives that Amy Jill Levine and her team may have missed or simply not felt to, to put in. But to, to give you a modern Jewish perspective of the Old Testament and a modern Jewish perspective of the New Testament through, through sympathetic eyes, yeah, those would be great books to get, all the ones that you mentioned. And again, you understand the, the purpose of them. You understand why you're reading them. For that information, absolutely very good books. All right, then. That's what I was asking. All right, you got it then. God bless you, Joshua. All right, eight six six three four truth. Let's go to Julio in Costa Rica. Thanks for holding and welcome to the yeah. broadcast. Yeah, go ahead. Thank you very much. It's an honor to ask a question. Go ahead, please. So the question is um, regarding um, Testament writers citing the Old Testament. So they do it on the Septuagint and not on the Masoretic text. When they say scripture says, uh, give a citation, I, ca- I cannot find that reading in my Old Testament, in my Bible. Right. So what do we make out of those? I mean, the implications. Uh, should we now consider higher those experience? Should we now collect the text so that they read exactly as how the inspired writers thought uh, or consider the Old Testament to be reading? Yep. So that's, that's just my, my question where my mind is. Yeah, yes, it's it's a great question, Julio. And I, I, you cut out just at a couple of places, but the question's clear overall. Number one, when Scripture's being cited by Jewish authors in the first century, it was very common for them to cite the Scripture in an interpretive way, to use the Scripture in an interpretive way. Sometimes they were quoting it literally. This is what it literally says and means. Sometimes they were quoting it for a play on words. Sometimes they were quoting it to then bring an interpretation out of it. For example, when 
when Paul's quoting from Deuteronomy 30 and speaks of the righteousness that comes by faith. And, and he, and he talks about the law is not in heaven or it's not over the sea. And, and he's applying this to the, to the death of Jesus, resurrection of Jesus. That's obviously not the intent of Deuteronomy 30. Paul's making a homiletical application. Everyone would have recognized that there, there'd be no ambiguity there. When, when Matthew quotes from, from Jeremiah saying that Rachel is weeping and Matthew, the second chapter, there'd be no ambiguity there. Rachel was not literally weeping when her children went into exile. She wasn't literally weeping. Then he's just applying it metaphorically. Once again, we hear the the sorrow and the pain of a Jewish mother. Uh, So the new Testament writers are doing what commonly was done by other Jewish authors of their day. They normally, not always, but they normally quoted from the Septuagint because that was the Greek translation that their readers would have. So for example, if the only Bible you had was the King James Bible, and I now give you my own translation of a verse and you go to look it up, it's like, that's not the way it reads in my Bible, right? So they're quoting the version that was being used, but here and there, if they felt that the Septuagint did not convey the right meaning, they would translate for themselves. So for example, Matthew eight seventeen where it speaks of Jesus bearing our sicknesses and carrying our infirmities. He does not quote, Matthew does not quote from the Septuagint and he doesn't, he doesn't use the Targumic tradition. No, he literally emphasizes sicknesses and pains literally as the Hebrew does. So the thing is to, just like before I I was recording a broadcast for a bonus show for our Patreon supporters. And I referenced first Timothy six and I read it from the NLT to bring some points out that I thought the NLT would bring out well, but the NLT is a bit of a paraphrase. It's not a direct translation. So that's what's happening. And if there seems to be a real discrepancy, normally when you dig deeper, there's a reason that the new Testament authors were doing what they did either to get us to dig deeper or to use the particular translation that was common in the day, because that's what people had access to. Uh, The more you dig in, the more you see how rich the citations were anything but ignorant, anything but inaccurate, anything but cavalier. All right, Julio, thank you so much for the call. There's a big volume edited by uh, Beale and Carson, B-E-A-L-E and Carson on the New Testament use of the old. That's the single best volume for that. 866-34-TRUTH. We go to Tari in Houston. You are on the line of fire. Thanks for joining us today. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Um, Okay, so real quick, my husband and I have landed in a Messianic Jewish church, Mm -hmm. which we never thought we would. Actually, uh, the right terminology is a Messianic Jewish congregation. Ah, I remember that, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, go ahead. I'm just just messing Um, with you, but go ahead. No, it's okay. Um, so we, we really love the community. We really are surprised how much we love, um, learning about the festivals and how our children can glean from how the New Testament, the Old Testament kind of mesh together and make it complete. But so they follow the first fruits of Zion and that's kind of like their head Mm -hmm. or the the ones that they kind of latch onto. Have you yep. ever heard of that ministry, and what is your thoughts about them? Sure thing. Yep. So uh, let's say, if, let's say if, uh, a few things on this. Number one, 
what's crucial is that Jesus Yeshua is always central to you, right? That that ends up being central, not Israel, not Torah, not Zion, not Jewishness, but Jesus. That's, that's number one. Jesus Yeshua must be central in everything. That's first. Second thing is that in him, Jew and Gentile are equal. Even though we may not have the identical calling and function, just like a man and woman in Jesus are equal, but they may not have identical calling and function, that we're exactly equal in the Lord. Now, First Fruits of Zion is a ministry I'm very familiar with. In fact, I have a colleague that uh, is, is full-time with them as well. In years past, they taught that Torah observance was mandatory or God's best for Jewish and Gentile believers. And then some years ago, they said we were in error about laying this on Gentile believers, but we still believe Jewish believers are called to live as Jews. I don't totally agree with them. In other words, I believe as Jews that we still have identity in Jesus as Jews, but that the Holy Spirit will lead us differently in terms of how this is lived out in our lives. But as long as things are laid out as grace and things that we can do to deeply identify with Israel, as opposed to trying to make Gentiles into Jews or trying to lay a burden on the Jews, which the New Testament doesn't, as long as the spirit is right, that it can be healthy. So I would just say, enjoy the congregation, grow, but keep your eyes open. If there's something that you feel is going in the wrong direction, rather than be divisive about it, just take a step back and reconsider. Does that make sense? Perfect sense. Thank you. Awesome. God bless you, Tori. Thanks so much. Back with more of your calls. We're not going anywhere. Oh, and a great announcement. We come back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. All right, I am I'm really excited to let you know that our latest Consider This video is now out. We just released it yesterday. Why were some books left out of the Bible? It just came out yesterday thousands of views immediately. I think it could go viral, but just looking at it so far, the responses, 416 likes to 10 dislikes. In other words, looks like we provided some really good information graphically illustrated as always. So go to askdrbrown.org right on the homepage. You'll see the banner for consider this, check this out. And again, help us produce more videos just like this with your contributions. Much appreciated. All right, uh, and and listen, about 40 minutes from now, so 4.30 Eastern Standard Time, about 40 minutes from now, we're going to be doing a YouTube live chat. So as you are able to join us then, that's on our Ask Dr. Brown channel on YouTube, I'll just be answering your YouTube questions for the next hour. So everyone that's been unable to get through by phone or we're unable to get to your call, join us again about 40 minutes from now. We're going to continue with a YouTube chat on our YouTube channel. Okay, we go to Logan in Charlotte, North Carolina. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Thank you so much, Dr. Brown, for taking my call. You've been a great blessing to me, and I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. Um, Yeah, no problem. 
the question that I have is, in, in a congregational setting, how should the spiritual gifts like prophecy and tongues be used? Um, the reason for this question is because my wife uh, actually went to International House of Prayer. Um, she was a student there. I wasn't, but I enjoyed going there and visiting. Uh, but I see that they constantly, you know, kind of sing in tongues and things like that. And that that's always made me feel a little uneasy, but so I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on those types of gifts in a congregational type setting. Yeah, so, Logan, the issue is is private and public. The issue is a, a meeting where unbelievers come in and those who don't understand versus a meeting where it's just believers and the whole focus is just to be with believers. So in that case, if it's believers together with believers, ministering to the Lord in song 24 hours a day, ministering in prayer, then things can just flow very freely and naturally. If you're in a setting where unbelievers are coming in or those who don't have background, then you need to do everything in a way that edifies. You need to be sure that you bring them in. So if there's tongues, there's interpretation. If, if there's prophecy, and the, then it's released so that people are spoken to. Obviously, people are going to come in and think it's a little weird to have prophecy, but at least they understand what's being said. So it's, it's really the setting. I have no problem being in a setting with other believers and, you know, leadership team, and hey, let's just pray in the Spirit for a while. And we pray in tongues for 15, 20 minutes and get our hearts in tune with the Lord and get our, our minds in tune with what He's saying, and then we pray much more effectively in English. That's great. Uh, but in a setting where we, you know, it's Sunday morning, and I get up and say, oh, I'm going to pray in tongues for 10 minutes, and so that's out of order, and that's not going to edify anyone but me. So that's, that's the distinction, sir. Okay? Perfect. All right, All right. Awesome. God bless you. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, yeah, let me answer this YouTube question. Why in John one thirty, John the Baptist says he himself didn't know Jesus, but came to reveal him. Weren't they cousins? Miriam visited Elizabeth even before his birth. Yeah, it could well be that, that he had not seen his younger cousin for many years. It, it could be that only that he didn't understand everything and that he didn't know exactly what was going to unfold until he actually saw him. So he may have had a certain anticipation, but had a, a lot of gaps that had to be filled in, and they were filled in once he actually saw, ah, okay, that's now I understand. Now I, I've got it. Uh, let's stay in Charlotte and go to Fred. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. Um, my question is, do you believe that um, America is under God's wrath, as described in Romans chapter 1. And um, my one of my professors, Dr. Barry Leventhal, had said that the word orge in the text never refers to condemnation. I wanted your opinion. Right. So uh, orge is wrath. And, and Dr. Leventhal is a friend. We don't see each other much. In fact, this coming week I'm teaching at, uh, a class at Southern Evangelical Seminary. Where, where Dr. Leventhal was a beloved professor for, for many years. But as far as Romans 1, the description there beginning in verse 18, that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven, how is it being revealed? What's being revealed, not in fire and brimstone falling on the nation, but it's being revealed in humanity being given over to depravity, to sin, to rebellion, until there's all kinds of evil among us, and that evil leads to death. So, so do I believe in that sense 
America's under God's wrath. Absolutely. I, I wrote that in 1993 in my book, It's Time to Rock the Boat. I looked at what was happening in America, our increasing idolatry, leading to increasing sexual immorality, leading to increasing sexual perversion, leading to death because of some of these very things, leading to all types of wickedness and violence in our midst. Yes, if we can see God's wrath in a progressive way manifest as we are given over to our sin, then yes, I would say America on some level is under God's wrath based on Romans 1. Absolutely. Okay. And, yeah, is, um, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I think, uh, I think I met you one time at your church. I think uh, my friend Joe Deloge introduced me to you. Well, could well be. Joe, yep, Joe is, is a biblical language scholar and a fine brother and has, has helped us in years past at our School of Ministry. Hey, thank you, Fred. Much appreciated. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to Aaron in Florida. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Michael Brown, how you doing? Doing well, thank you. Awesome, all right. So I'm going to try to make it real quick. Uh, yeah. The second, I got two quick questions. The second question would be uh, yes or no. Okay. The first one's more like a comment because, you know, I've been following you for a long time. You've helped me with a lot of uh, understanding. And um, <clears throat> I've been dealing with or uh, listening to this group called Absolute Bible Truth Ministries. And they, um, you know, they got a lot of, uh, a fair amount of different views but the way they break down scripture and go through scripture, um, mm-hmm. it's very, very much convincing. And I would, and I just wonder if you would be uh, willing. And like you said, you said you're always willing to debate the truth. And if you'd be able to, or be willing to debate uh, Brother Josh, who's a head teacher at Absolute Bible Truth, um, on maybe some uh, differing topics. Like, give, give me an example of something that we differ on. Uh, so the thing is, I, I, to make it like. To me, they're like a mix between Christians and Hebrew Israelites. So they're Christians. They believe Christ is God. They believe um, uh, they believe in the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit to them is like the power of God. But they believe in we should keep the law. So they have some of this uh, Hebrew Israelite mentality, but they're very much Christians. And and I think that um, some yeah, of the different if, if they, views if are they very re- well. If they reach out to us and and they're they're qualified to represent their position. Yeah, if, if they reach out to us, let them. That can easily be done through our website, and say that they'd like okay. to debate me on a given subject. Again, the, the key thing is for me to do a debate, the person has to be qualified. In, in other words, right. if if um, if someone debates me, right, a, a brilliant scientist who's an evolutionist debates me on science and evolution, they'll destroy me. They'll utterly destroy me because that's not my field. But it proves nothing. Doesn't mean that they're right. Just. You know, it's, it's just like if, if I got into a boxing match with a two-year-old. Well, because what, what does that prove? Proves nothing. In, in right. fact, it's, it's cruel. You. Right. So the person just has to be qualified to represent their position. And, and if so, and we can okay. set something up, great. All right, your second question. All right, awesome. That's good. I think it's qualified. And then the second question, a real quick yes or no. So uh, if we were going to say yes or no, because I do understand that you would say you want to tell them these things or... It is a good thing to kind of keep the law as long as you don't bind it to people for salvation. But would it really be okay to tell uh, a Jewish convert um, uh, you don't have to keep the law no more? If it was just a blanket, yes or no? Well, okay. The problem with a blanket, yes or no, is that what do you mean by keep the law? 
So here, I'll give you some blanket yes or no. Will I tell a Jewish believer that comes to Jesus, you must obey the law of Moses now that you're saved? Absolutely not. No, I will not say that. Why? We are under a new and better covenant. We're not under the law of Moses. We are under a new and better covenant. So what I tell this person, you don't keep the law now that you're saved. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that you can go ahead and murder? Does that mean you can go ahead and commit adultery? What does that mean? So specifically, I would tell someone, as a Jewish believer, I encourage you to study the scriptures and find out how God wants you to live out your faith as a Jew. And I believe that there will be variation because of our background and our calling and the fact that we stand in different relationship to the law. So that's as simply as I can break it down into yeses or nos. All right, friends, sorry we can't get to more calls, but here's the good news. About 30 minutes from now, we're going to continue on YouTube, right? So everybody get over there, meet me there in about 30 minutes. So it's Ask Dr. Brown, A-S-K-D-R Brown on YouTube. Meet me over there, and I'll be answering your YouTube questions for the next hour. And then a reminder, all of our Patreon supporters, you get to watch that chat once it's done, as well as a bonus show every week. So you get two bonus shows per week. Stand with us, partner with us, pennies a day, helps us keep doing what we're doing and do it even better. And you get blessed in the process. Go to patreon.com forward slash ask Dr. Brown. All right, 30 minutes from now, we'll continue on YouTube. God bless you.